Now in 2018, we're talking about how do we accelerate that innovation and transformation, which started, by the way, with a team of three people. And we gave them some crayons and some paper, basically, and said, figure this out. Um, it's grown. The team is now over 50-plus people. We've invested $25 million. We earned that money back in one year, payback time, so it's a pretty good investment, and we're investing in our future. And if you aren't, you need to be, okay? And I assume you all know that because that's why you're here. Um, you probably could tell by the agenda that um, we're going to be talking a lot about the way we need to be now, not the way we've always been. So we started our innovation transformation really from an uh, end-to-end value chain perspective, okay? And thinking about everything from field metering to sales to pipelines and compression. And that's all good and fine, and that's the technical piece of it. But but what we're here to talk about is the people implications of the transformation, okay? How do you recruit people differently? How do you train or upskill? Because the requirements of the jobs are trained, changing drastically with the uh, adoption of transformation, digitization, new technologies. How do you reward people differently? And most importantly, and where I'm going to spend most of my time today, is how do you engage your people in this process? Because remember, change is um, something that most people view as having done to them versus for them or with them. And so I can tell you um, the adoption process is slow and painful. Uh, and you've got, if you're going to go on this journey, which you probably all will at some point, if you're not already, how do you bring your people along with you? And how do you signal to them that things really are changing, that this isn't just the flavor of the month? How many people of you have flavor of the month initiatives and have a workforce that may, I see heads nodding, maybe predisposed to, to think, oh, if I just wait this out, it will go away. This ain't going away, folks, let me tell you. So I love this slide, okay, because what this says is, you know, that 51% well, believe that we've got to go through this major change, right? That it's, a, it's critical. 60% say culture is more important than strategy. Okay, you've all heard the strategy or culture eat strategy for breakfast, culture eat strategy for lunch. Probably somebody's going to be coming out with culture eat strategy for dinner soon. It's that important. But only 35% think that we're making progress and addressing that. It's a huge gap between believing this matters and actually taking the bull by the horn and doing something about it. And it's I think it's easier to transform a process because it's clear and it's concrete and it's discreet and you can attach numbers and measures to it. And culture is about changing the people and the behaviors. And um, that's, where, that's where the fun begins, right? For all of you in HR. So at DCP, we've taken what I consider to be a fairly holistic approach. And I'm going to talk about each of these bubbles, the outer one being culture and, and the behaviors of the organization. 
But with that, I would argue that you have to attend to the spaces, the places, and the ways that your people work as well. Okay? And we heard some of this earlier today when we talked to some, we had some folks talking about space a little bit in there. So, so a bit on transformation and culture. I believe that this culture is where the needs of the business and the needs of the people come together. The sweet spot is when you get the best of both worlds and make them align, okay? I, I believe that culture needs to be by the people, for the people, and with the people, okay? So that it's not something being done to them. It's being done with them and for them, and they have a say in the process, and they understand that. But about spaces now. These are, you've got to create habitats that activate a culture shift. All these things tell people we are really going to a different space. It's a big visual cue when you come in and you've transformed the space that you work in. And yes, there's cost with this, and yes, you're not going to wave your magic wand and do it all overnight, but you're going to pick some key visible areas and you start to probably going to do some things different to signal that your culture is changing. And with that, people will have physical, cognitive, and sort of emotional needs that should be addressed by your space. So if you're going to go here, use your space planners because it's a real science and everybody wants to be a part of um, redesigning your space. Nobody wants to deal with the restrooms and the toilets and the rest of facilities. Um, But everybody wants to help you design and pick the chairs that they sit in and the desks that they have and, and all that. Um, your job, if you're going to go here, is to make sure that you adhere to the science of it. And, and there's some great uh, office space people that can really help you with scientific data that says these are the things that people need to help them perform their best. Okay? So your innovation and your learning activities are inherently social activities. So design your space to encourage and support these activities, to drive collaboration, to move people together, to encourage people to talk. Okay. Out with the cubes. In with the couches, the collaboration space. This isn't the best picture on the right. I'm going to show you some better space pictures, and hopefully they won't be all all squishy here. Um, but it, but it, your space matters. How many people have cubes and traditional oil and gas offices? Okay, so you got to start breaking down some walls. And, and when you do this, when you go here, you're, you're going to have lots of different types of space, okay? Because that's what people need to be innovative and creative and working together to solve problems. It's what they need to go and just think. It's where they need to go to design and develop and work independently. And so um, cubes, we have, to be perfectly honest, and we're changing it, you walk our floors, and it's just rows of cubes, like the ones you can't even see over. It's like um, 
So people can't talk and they can't collaborate. And if you're going to drive innovation and digital transformation, you have to have a different space. And so this is, this is the future, folks. This is, this is what you're going to need to go there. Lots of walls. If you walk in our, space or our office space where you've started this, we've now gone to writable walls and stuff that you can just write with markers all over, and you'll see it everywhere, stuff where you can do Post-its. My God, we should invest in 3M because we use more Post-its, I think, than any company in the world. Hello. Um, because it's part of the design process where you just scribble and color and, and post it and stick it up and keep it and use it for later. Um, and you're bringing in light and you're bringing in interaction. Here's an example of, um, on the left is a traditional SCADA room. Okay, How many of you have used SCADA data and have a room? Some of you. Okay, And on the right, and if you could see the whole room, um, You'd see, you'd see a total look and feel that's very, very different. Um, but this is a place where it's not just SCADA data anymore. It's our financial data. It's market data. It's engineering data. And it's all coming to It's real live oil and gas prices um, coming in to create a whole new data set to make minute-by-minute minute decisions about how we do and deliver work. And that's driving real business performance. So again, this is about space and, and, a, and a new, fresh look feel. So spaces, places, and ways. People can work from home. We heard that earlier. They can work in the office. They can work from the coffee shop. Now, obviously, if you have folks in the field, that work requires a little bit different nuance, and there's more challenges um, with, with how they're going to work. The challenge, I think, really is for leadership to let go, okay, and get rid of a traditional butts-in-seats kind of mentality and trust your people and make your decisions around the ways and the places and the spaces that people work based on... Um, the majority of your people. Okay, make your decisions for the majority, and get away from making decisions from the minority. And what I mean by that is, is you're designing your policies and you're making decisions about, um, you know, when we went to jeans. Oh, you know, somebody will wear holy jeans, or they'll wear a hoodie sweatshirt, or they'll wear their tennis shoes, or their flip flops. If you assume that, you're managing to the minority, right? Because the majority of the people are going to be responsible, and you can trust them, and you can put stuff out there without a whole lot of rules and a whole lot of controls. It's just convincing leadership to let go, okay? And then when something goes off course, you just quietly rein that, you know, small little incident back in. And, and everybody else is happy. And by the way, wearing jeans didn't cost us a single dime. And I'm telling you, it is the cheapest change that we have ever made in any company that I have ever worked in. Our people love it, and they feel liberated, and they do the right thing. And they didn't have to be told. We just did a little video. Wear this, not that, and that was the end of it. No rules, no dress code policy changes, nothing substantial. It's a mindset change, and it starts with leadership. <laughs> doesn't really start with people. It starts with your leaders. Okay? 
they can work from anywhere. So who cares? And you know if they aren't, right? If you're a great manager and you're setting clear expectations for deliverables, they either deliver it or they don't. And if somebody doesn't, then you rein them back in and maybe they need to be a little more in the office than someplace else. But otherwise, let them go. They'll do the right thing. We hire great people. So get yourself ready and get yourself set up so that people don't have to be in their office, in their cube, um, in their normal space. We talked about spaces, we talked about places, and now I want to talk about the ways that people work. And this is around um, much more collaboration, much more uh, busting down of siloed barriers that exist, and using user-centered our user-centered design approaches, agile methodologies, design thinking, Kaizen teams still, um, because the, the um, processes from Lean are still applicable, and many in this industry haven't even adopted those, so get yourself going. Uh, design thinking, love it. Um, it's a much more creative way to come up with solutions, and, and it, rapid iteration as well. Um, I already talked about relaxed dress code, flexible work schedules. We heard about that this morning as well. Stretch yourself out of your normal place. Spaces, places, and ways. This is a result of some of the rapid app learning or app development that we've built in this company by using these processes and freeing up people to say, hey, we need this, and can you do it? Yeah, here, let us design it. Does this work? Yeah, we like it, but could you do this? And you twist it, and you go back, and that's agile. And you keep going back, and you put something out that is a minimal viable product. You get it out there, you get user feedback, and you come back. Okay. This is more ways of working and design practices. I'm going to speed through this. Agile methodology, I just talked about that as well. In terms of iterate, come back, get more feedback, make change, put it back out to the user. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're we're an industry that um, has prided ourselves on perfection, okay? And that's made us slow in the process, right? So now obviously there's, play, there's things like safety where you're not going to go out there and you're not going to stretch yourself and do something fast and at the expense of some inherent safety risk. That's, the, that's our sacred ground, right? But there are other places where you have to say, you know, we can do a little, get feedback and come back. We can add a little more and come back. Um, and so this is what I'm talking about around creating this culture where people are part of the solution and not part of the problems necessarily, and that you're giving them and signaling to them by some very overt processes around spaces, places, and ways that you're willing to let your people work much differently than they did today. And if you don't do it, they'll just go down the road and get it elsewhere, right? Some people are nodding, so I know you recognize this. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to get to a Q&A portion in a little bit, but... I just this is this is not rocket science necessarily, but it's don't just address culture and, and the behaviors. It's the whole package deal, right? Send the message to your people that times are changing and they're a part of that change. It will not be easy. It is not easy for us. We are, um, you know, probably still in our infancy, truth be told, in our journey. But we have a plan and we have clarity around the things that we need to be doing. And we're getting some really good traction, and we're getting some great um, 
solutions bubbling up from the people? The answers are within our organizations. It's just how do you, how do you uh, um, unleash the power of the people by giving them a certain amount of freedoms to do things in a very different way? Summarize, focus on your culture, focus on your spaces, your places, and your ways that people work. Um, and you will be shocked and amazed at um, the feedback and the response that you get from your teams.